Hello everyone, I'm David. It's my pleasure to be carrying on with our series that's called Different, where we've been looking at a letter in the New Testament written by Peter. Now, as we've gone through this letter, what we've seen again and again is the people Peter's writing to, those early Christians being called to live and to think and to act and to behave differently. That's why our series has been called Different. And today we come to uh, another theme, and it's the theme of suffering and how Peter calls on Christians then and now to suffer differently. It's actually a theme that's come up a number of times as we've gone through this letter. In chapter one, uh, he wrote that, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, and he talks about uh, these, these trials proving the genuineness of their faith. In chapter two, he said, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Then in chapter 3, for it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, for Christ also suffered once for sins. And then just last week at the beginning of chapter 4, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So as we've gone through the letter so far, there have been these little hints of this theme of suffering. There's this idea of suffering following Jesus' example, of it being better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There's this idea of suffering purifying or, or showing us what we're really like. And today, all of those ideas come together more fully as Peter unpacks suffering a little bit more explicitly. But I want to recognise that just as for the people Peter was writing to, so for us, suffering isn't a theoretical idea. Suffering is real. For Peter's uh, initial uh, listeners and readers, suffering was a part of their life. They were suffering on account of their faith, being insulted, being tormented, being mistreated, being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. We might be able to think of ways in which that would be true for us, but more broadly than that, suffering is part of life. This last year and a bit has shown us that. That, that life is not always easy, that life is not always perfect. So as we journey through this and as we, we look at some things about suffering and what it means to suffer differently, I want to remember that this is not just a theoretical idea. This will land for you in very concrete ways. This week in what's going on in your mind right now, this is a real thing and let, let it be a real thing instead of just a theoretical idea. So as we go through these verses, I want to simply share Five truths about Christian suffering. Five truths about Christian suffering. And number one is this, suffering is not strange. Peter, in chapter 4, verse 12, says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter doesn't want them to be confused by their suffering. He wants them to expect it. He says, don't think that just because you're suffering, something strange is happening to you. Suffering is not strange. Suffering is in some way normal. See, the attackers of these early Christians wanted them to say, well, we're being attacked for our faith. Something's not right. And maybe it's our faith that we need to give up on. Peter didn't want them to get sucked into that way of thinking. Peter wanted them to know that suffering was going to come, that it is not strange. And I want to ask, is suffering strange to us? Is the idea that we 
should suffer or that we will suffer or that suffering will come in our lives, that difficulties and hardships will come in our lives. Is that strange to us? Is it something that we think shouldn't be the case? In the Western modern world in which I live and in which I know many people who are watching this will live, the truth is we suffer less than anyone in human history because of medical advances, because of technology, because of the comfort we've managed to um, make in our lives. We are not as used to suffering as any generation that has gone before us and as any other part of the world throughout history. Suffering is around us, but it is not as present a reality for us as it has been for many cultures and in many parts of the world. There's not no suffering, but there is relatively little when we compare it with human history. And so there's this question, why is there suffering? Why does God allow suffering? How could a good God allow people to suffer? The truth is that is a very Western and a very modern question, which isn't to say it's not important, but it's to recognise that it is a question that comes in some ways as a result of privilege, as a result of the fact that suffering is not always a day-in, day-out experience for many of us. But at the moment, I want to be clear, what, what Peter's writing about isn't just suffering in general. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But what he's talking about specifically is, is people being persecuted and suffering for their faith. He's not just talking about suffering in general terms. And Peter wants them to know that suffering as a part of their faith is going to be normal. It's going to be part of their Christian life. See, if this whole series and this letter if one of the big themes is about being different, then different inevitably leads sometimes to difficult. See, Christians were seen as a threat or seen as an annoyance or at sometimes they, they were seen as the oppressor who were stopping other people being able to live. And in many different ways, Christians are misunderstood or mischaracterized or just, just not understood. That leads to pushback. Sometimes, like in, like in this day, it could lead to imprisonment or it could lead to being killed or it could lead to insults made towards Christians. But it can also lead to misunderstanding of just not being understood. It can lead to expectations being placed on Christians that we find uncomfortable living up to. If there's a, if there's a culture in our office environment or in our street or in our family that we think that's not right, but because of my faith, I'm somehow at odds or I'm, or I'm different. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes it, that, that difficulty as a result of being different is about our views or our beliefs not being shared, not being respected, not being upheld by others and that placing us in a difficult position. But Peter wants us to make no mistake. Being a Christian is not a promise to be comfortable. Suffering is not strange. That was truth number one. Truth number two is this. Suffering for God can be a joy and an honour. As Peter carries on, we read, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, again, this is not just suffering in general. This is about that difficulty that comes from being different. This is about suffering for God. He talks about in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ and being insulted in the name of Christ in these verses. This is about suffering as a result of faith, being mistreated as a result of faith. Now, he says that it can be a joy because 
We are being like Jesus. It talks about participating in the sufferings of Christ. When we associate with, with Jesus, when association with Jesus is of higher importance in our life than our own personal comfort, suffering does not need to rob us of joy. Let me say that again. When, when being associated, being close, being like Jesus is more important to you than being comfortable, suffering does not need to rob us of joy because Jesus is the ultimate example to follow when it comes to suffering. See, when we suffer, we place ourselves or we are placed in a position where we are being like Jesus and we can find an affinity, we can find a closeness there. A number of years ago, I was going through the worst period of suffering in my life. I was in a marriage that ended as a result of an affair. And during that time, in the aftermath of that, I was struggling in all kinds of different ways. I became very depressed. I was not well. And during that time, one of the things that I learnt was how deeply suffering could lead me closer to Jesus, lead me to associate with him more fully. I was there in the midst of a betrayal and a rejection. And in that time, the fact that Jesus, before his death, was betrayed by his friends, was rejected by his friends, was left all alone. His friends didn't want him. His friends didn't want to be near him. His friends left him and betrayed him and rejected him. That meant so much to me. Not just because it meant that, that, that Jesus understood, although it did mean that that I could talk to him about it because I knew that he knew what that felt like, but also because I was able to recognise that I was becoming more like Jesus, that I was experiencing something that he experienced. And there were times in my stronger moments when that was more important to me than the fact that I was suffering. Of course, there were times when that was not the case and where I would have immediately snapped my fingers for it all to go away regardless of how close to Jesus I was or wasn't going to be. But in suffering, we can find joy and honour in being associated and being close to Jesus, in participating in his sufferings. But there's also a joy that can be found in suffering as a result of faith. Because of, because of things that are coming, because of the greater things that we know are coming. In these verses, Peter talks about suffering being, being a joy because, of, because we know that his glory, that Jesus' glory will be revealed. It's talking about the end of time. It's talking about Jesus' return. It's talking about heaven. See, the truth is that all suffering, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, all suffering in this life is temporary. And the suffering we experience now can, can highlight and can bring into contrast the utter peace, the utter painlessness, the utter perfection that we know awaits us. Temporary suffering now highlights the eternal lack of suffering to come. Of course, this all begs the question, so why doesn't God just end the suffering all now? Now, I don't want to dwell there today. But the truth is that God made all of this, this whole creation, so that he could be close to you and to me, so that he could have a relationship with humanity. Throughout human history, what we've shown is that we are incapable of saying yes to God and letting him be in charge. And instead, we've chosen to live for ourselves. The Bible calls it sin. 
And in scripture, we have this, this idea that because of that brokenness in relationship between God and us, what it was all here for, everything else gets broken and disasters happen and sickness comes. Not a case of you did something wrong last Tuesday and so you're going to get sick next week, but a sense that because of the general broken nature of our relationships with God, we live in a world that is broken and that is wrong, but a world that God is putting right because he didn't stay far away, because he entered in in Jesus. He associated with our suffering. He came close and he will one day put it back together. And the delay, why the delay? Because God wants to give as many people as much chance as possible of being part of that new, perfect, restored creation of saying yes to him while there is still space and while there is still time. But again, our main focus in this passage is not on that general idea of suffering, but is on persecution and on suffering as a result of our faith. And the third truth is this, there is no honour in suffering for doing wrong. Peter carries on, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, this seems so obvious that it always goes without saying, right? We shouldn't do wrong things and suffer for them because we'll, we, shouldn't, we just shouldn't be doing wrong things. So why does Peter say it? And actually, he says it a few times during the whole of his letter. And I think he, he says it because there's a danger of justifying wrong actions because people are against you. I'm being attacked, so I'm going to fight back, fight fire with fire. And at that point, we're no longer suffering because of our obedience to Jesus. We're suffering because we're doing something wrong. And there's no honour in that. See, not all suffering that we might face is a noble persecution. We can't justify wrong behaviours simply because we're suffering for them. Oh, that you must be doing something right because people don't seem to like it. Isn't always true. Sometimes people don't like it because it's wrong, because it's not right. But Peter says, but when you suffer as a Christian, there is no shame. And he's not saying if you happen to be a Christian and then you suffer. He's saying when the suffering that you experience is not as a result of doing something wrong, but is as a result of clinging to Jesus, being obedient to him, then you can wear his name as a badge of honour. He uses the word Christian. It's one of only three times in the New Testament the word is used. And in that day, Christian was a phrase that Christians themselves didn't use that much, but their attackers, their persecutors did. It was an insult. You're a Christian. A little Christ. You're like that Christ. You follow that Christ, that Christ who was killed, who was crucified as a criminal. You're like him. You're no better than him. It was used as an insult, but the Christians learned to take it as a badge of honour and say, yes, I will wear his name with pride because I don't suffer because of things I'm doing wrong to you. I suffer because of what he's done for me and the fact I've chosen to commit to it. There is no honour in suffering for doing wrong. And notice, though, this isn't just about big things. He talks about murder, he talks about thieving, he talks about being a criminal. But then he also talks about meddling. And that, that word meddler, it means someone who, who, who inserts themselves into someone else's business, a, a gossip, a, a know-it-all, someone who's constantly minding other people's business, sticking your nose in. See, it doesn't matter whether it's murder or 
stealing or adultery or some of the, the big ones, or whether it's things that we might consider every day, there is no honour in suffering as a result of doing wrong. Peter wants to encourage these Christians not to try and justify things that they might want to do just because they're being attacked. No, live a good godly life no matter what comes your way. The fourth thing that I want to pull out of here is that suffering refines faith for those who have it. Peter carries on, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? These verses talk about judgment. And when we think about judgment, we can think about uh, people being judged and punished for the wrong that they have done. But a judge also acquits. A judge also recognises that someone might be innocent and releases them instead of punishing them. See, God's judgment includes punishing those who do wrong for the wrong that they do. But God's judgment as a whole is about revealing things for what they are. Revealing good to be good and revealing bad to be bad. And in these verses we read that that begins with God's household. God starts in these verses by getting his own house in order or encouraging his people to get their own house in order. And what he's saying is that when suffering comes, it tests that faith. It reveals that faith for what it is. This does not mean that God sends suffering on his children, on his people in order to test us. But he's saying when we do suffer, it reveals our core, it reveals who we are. When we suffer, is our first response fear or faith in God that it will be okay because he is with us? When we suffer, is our first response entitlement? I shouldn't have to suffer. I'm beyond that. I'm, I'm better than that. God shouldn't be allowing that to happen to me. Or is our first response endurance? When we suffer, is our first response panic? What are we going to do? Or is it peace? Because we know that God is still God. When we suffer, is our first response terror? Everything is going wrong now? Or is it trust? Suffering shows something of who we are and of what our knee-jerk responses are. And the result of this that God has in mind is always to purify, never to destroy, not to, not to well, this is who you are and now go and live with it by yourselves, but to help us to see what we're like so that we can grow to purify our faith. Of course, the truth is that someone who doesn't have that faith can't have their response be trust or faith in God because there isn't a faith in God that's there. There isn't that assurance, there isn't that hope from God to draw on. So suffering refines faith in those who do have it. And then finally, the final truth about suffering. Suffering is a time to step forward, not shrink back. Peter finishes by saying, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is a, a bit of a summary, but it shows the way that Peter wants these readers to respond when suffering comes, what their posture should be. And what is it? To commit themselves afresh to God, who is their faithful creator. He's their faithful creator. He's, he's faithful. 
in that he never abandons us, which means that we can step closer to him when suffering or trials or tests come because we know that he isn't running away from us, so we don't need to run away from him. He is faithful, but he's also our creator. He knows us. He knows you, which means he knows what the refined version of you looks like. He knows what rough edges need to be knocked off. And if we draw closer to him in times of trial or pain or suffering, then we can come out the other end of those different and closer to the version of us that he initially intended and made. He made us so he knows what he wants for us, but he also knows what we can handle. He knows what will be too far. One of the other writers in the New Testament, one of the other early church leaders, Paul, elsewhere he wrote, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is with you, but he also knows what limits there are and he places things around you. When I went through my biggest time of suffering in my life, the things that God placed around me, the people, the friendships, the family, this church, they were the things that God gave me in order to help me through, as well as his own presence and activity in my life. And if all of that is true, that God is our faithful creator, then whenever suffering and persecution comes, we can press on into him and step forward towards God. And as Peter says, continue to do good rather than shrinking back from him. So there's a few truths about suffering, some ways in which Christian suffering can be different. Suffering is not strange. Suffering for God can be a joy and an honour. There's no honour in suffering for doing wrong. Suffering refines faith in those who have it, and suffering is a time to step forward, not to shrink back. But how do we respond to that? How do we respond to those truths, to this message, to this passage? I think there's two things that I want to encourage you to do. They're both choices. And the first is to choose to stand with others. Like I said, in the Western modern world, the suffering that we face is relatively little. And that's true as Christians as well. When we compare ourselves with brothers and sisters, our family in other parts of the world who suffer far more and in far more serious ways for their faith than we do in this country and in the West as a whole. Suffering is very real. As we were led earlier on in prayer for the persecuted church, we can choose to learn. Head to the Open Doors website Find out a little bit more about the, about the realities of being a Christian in other parts of the world. Pray. Pray for your family. If you are a Christian in other parts of the world, not your blood family, but your spiritual family, pray that God would honour them, that God would continue to give them courage and boldness and perseverance and faith. And speak up where you can. If there are opportunities to make others aware of this, then do. So we can choose to stand with others. But the other way I think that we can respond is that we choose how we will stand. I think there's two stances, broadly, that we can have when it comes to suffering, and they can be summed up in these two prayers. Lord, protect me, or Lord, refine me. 
we need to choose which of those two postures we'll adopt. Will we say, God, protect me from any harm, protect me from any suffering, stop it happening? Or will we say, Lord, in the midst of it, if it comes, when it comes, refine me? That choice changes everything. Think about these, these five truths from this passage. Suffering is not strange was number one. The Lord protect me stance declares that suffering should be strange, that it shouldn't be part of our life. And when it comes, it should be an anomaly. It should be something that we try and get rid of as quickly as possible. Lord, protect me from it. Suffering is strange and I don't want any part of it. Number two was suffering for God can be a joy and an honour. The Lord protect me stance demands a different kind of joy, a joy that comes from everything being easy rather than a joy from knowing that God is God and he is with us. Number three was there's no honour in suffering for doing wrong. If we're saying, Lord, protect me, if my own protection and comfort and safety is the most important thing, then if God won't protect me, I'll protect myself no matter what that means. Number four was suffering refines faith in those who have it. Lord, protect me says, I don't want that refining. I want to stay as I am. And finally, suffering's a time to step forward, not shrink back. Lord, protect me. That stance, that prayer, waits until things are safe to step back towards God. Thinking God himself might really not be that safe to be near to. So today, what would your prayer be? Lord, protect me. Keep me safe. Don't let anything bad or difficult happen to me in the name of being a Christian. Or, Lord, come what may. Whatever I may face, whatever trials, whatever difficulties, refine me, lead me, guide me. Let me pray. Lord God, I want to thank you that you are our faithful creator. That you are faithful and will never abandon us. And in this part of the world, if things stay as they are, and we experience relatively little persecution on account of our faith, Lord, would you continue to refine us and refine your church? And Lord, if there is an increase of those things, if it becomes harder to become a Christian, to stand on you and on your word, then Lord, we ask, would you refine us, refine your church, lead us and guide us? Your will be done. Your kingdom come. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen.